0: Well, good morning again, Oceanside Sanctuary. It's good to be back with you here on a Sunday morning on YouTube and Facebook, wherever it is that you happen to be while you're watching here on our YouTube or Facebook channel. We're really glad to have you with us. We, of course, as a church are beginning to gather right here in this space on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock, and we are inching our way back towards our regular full service, which we are hoping we can begin on june 20th in the meantime for those of you who still are uh are worshiping at a safe distance with us here online you are welcome as always to join us here instead or for those of you i know who are at a distance and can't make it here on a sunday morning we're really glad to have you too today we're going to continue our series on the spirit of liberation we're asking the bigger question what does it mean for us as followers of Jesus, to be spiritual human beings. What does it mean when we say that we are spiritual? And our approach to that question is really, what is the Spirit of God doing in the book of Acts? And so we have been visiting uh, certain touch points in the book of Acts where we see the Holy Spirit depicted as being at work with the disciples, and we're trying to pick up whatever lessons we can from those Uh, passages so that we can learn to discern those patterns in our lives today. So we're going to jump back in with another passage from Acts, but first, as always, I want to invite you to just center your hearts and your minds with me for a moment here with a prayer. Would you just join me? God, we thank you again for today, for this opportunity for us to come together online, to worship together, to encourage each other, to learn from you wherever we might be. We ask that you would draw us in as we read this text together. We ask that you'd really speak to our hearts and to our minds, that you would teach us how we can recognize what you're doing in the world and join with you in that work. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to open it up today to the book of Acts again. This time we're going to jump into Acts chapter 5. And I want to follow up on some of what happened with the apostles. Last week we talked about how John and Peter were threatened by the ruling council in jerusalem to not speak about jesus to not teach about jesus and last week we said one of the answers to the question what does it mean to be spiritual is that we are imbued with a kind of divine courage that comes with us to do what we are called to do by that passion that is implanted into us so so far we really have two answers to this question the first i said is that That to be spiritual means that we tend to have a kind of energy or passion that is sort of shut up inside of us that is longing to get out and we have a hard time containing it and then in week two i said that to be spiritual means that we are given the courage to put that energy and that passion to work on behalf of what the spirit of god is doing in the world so today we're going to kind of pick up on the follow-up to that story because the ruling council in Jerusalem followed up on their threats to the apostles for them to keep quiet and so in chapter 5 one of the things we read about is how the some of the apostles were thrown into prison for teaching about Jesus and speaking about Jesus now we're not going to read about that we're going to skip ahead a little bit farther we're going to pick it up in acts chapter 5 verse 27 this is after the apostles who were imprisoned are uh, they come out of prison Uh, and they are dragged back before the ruling council. Again, we're going to pick it up there in verse 27. It says this, now, when they had brought them, that is the council, uh, they had them stand before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. And yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. That is Jesus, right? So the the ruling council in jerusalem they're frustrated because the apostles teaching about jesus who had been crucified by those who were in power in jerusalem they're afraid that this is stirring up trouble and it's going to create more uh political and civil unrest and that they're ultimately going to get blamed for it so so this is obviously one of their concerns and they're asking peter and john and the other apostles to keep quiet but verse 29 but peter And the apostles said, we must obey God rather than any human authority. Now, I want to pause right there because that actually is a very familiar sentence. We we read a similar sentence uttered by Peter in the previous chapter, the last time that they were dragged before the council. And here, Peter reiterates it a bit more forcefully, I think, a bit more clearly. He says, We ought not to obey you when you are asking us to disobey God. In other words, we have a loyalty to a higher authority than you, that is, those who are in power in our city. Now, what I find interesting about this is that very often in religious settings and church settings, What we sort of boil the gospel down to, or what we boil Christianity down to, or what we end up boiling Jesus down to, is that we ought to obey. That we ought to obey our parents, that we ought to obey the law, that we ought to follow the rules, that that we ought to obey our nation's laws, and and so on and so forth. We ought to obey the, the pastor or the preacher when he, who's usually a he in most church settings, tells us what we should or shouldn't do. In other words, religion often gets boiled down to a kind of uh, way of learning to be obedient, but that obedience is often a kind of subservience to some other human being, usually somebody who's in some sort of position of authority. And I find that ironic because what Peter reminds us of here is that Christianity and indeed Judaism as well are really rooted in notions of disobedience not necessarily obedience never rabbi here a friend here in san diego somebody that i often see when clergy in san diego come together to speak out on behalf of injustices in in our cities and in our county and and try to bring a kind of collective moral voice to issues like racism Or immigration the kinds of social ills that we really struggle with in our community and there's a particular rabbi that I often see at these gatherings and uh, the last time we were at a gathering together where we were collaborating to to make a statement in the wake of George Floyd's death she said something that I just thought was amazing and I'll always remember she said in front of this crowd of people in front of actually cameras and, and, and and with a microphone Uh, placed in front of her. She said that one of the reasons why Moses is considered the greatest prophet in Judaism is because he disobeyed God. And of course, she's referring to that famous passage where Moses is up on Mount Sinai. And down at the bottom of Mount Sinai are all of the Hebrews, right? All of those who had been brought out of Egypt And they're wandering around in the desert and Moses goes up to the top of Mount Sinai. He meets God face to face, has this powerful encounter with God and God meets him. And this is, of course, where God is going to give Moses the the law, the Ten Commandments, those guidelines that are going to allow them to live lives that are rich and full and flourishing and good. And instead, God sees the Hebrews down in the valley worshiping a golden calf. And God is furious and incensed that these people that that God has sacrificed for, that God has worked for, that God has advocated for, that Moses has put his own life on the line for, that these people have turned their backs on God and on Moses. And God is furious and says to Moses, forget these people, I'll kill them all and you and I can go and start with a whole new people, a people who will be more obedient Moses's response is amazing in that passage. Moses says no to God because Moses recognizes that that impulse, that offer, that temptation, if you will, to let go of this group of people that they have fought so hard for is not actually in God's character. Moses says no and bargains with God and argues with God until finally God relents and agrees to give them a second chance. Now, what's amazing about that story from the Old Testament, from the, from the Hebrew scriptures, is of course that God is in contention with Moses over the unfaithfulness of humanity. And Moses demonstrates a higher faithfulness to the things that God actually stands for. Now, a lot of people, of course, in the Jewish tradition and in the Christian tradition would argue that God didn't really want to kill the Hebrews and start all over again, that God was testing Moses. And maybe that's true. And if that is true, then Moses passed the test because Moses demonstrated that he was obedient to the things that God actually stood for. The things that God actually represented, which were, of course, liberation, redemption, flourishing for a people who had been suffering and oppressed. Now, I see the same sort of thing happening here in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. What Peter is saying is that whatever the rules or the law or the commands of the ruling council of Jerusalem might be, People who really do represent the authority of God in Jerusalem. Peter says no to them, just like Moses said no to God on Mount Sinai, because Peter recognizes that there is something bigger and more important that he must obey. And I think we get to see a little bit more of that thing, that bigger thing that Peter knows he must be obedient to as we read a little further. So let's pick it up again, verse 30 says, the God of our ancestors, this is Peter, again, giving an answer to the ruling council in Jerusalem. He says, the God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. And God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Now, here, Peter is recounting the story of Jesus to them. And then he says something remarkable that we haven't yet seen before in the Gospels or the book of Acts. Verse 32, Peter says, And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. This, I think, is remarkable because Peter is not only saying we must obey something higher than you, we must obey God. We must obey something beyond your rules and laws and requests and dictates he's saying we owe our obedience to god instead and then he says not only were we witnesses to those things that happened to jesus but the holy spirit is also a witness to those things and we must obey that witness now here's what I think that is, is all about. I think this is remarkable because Peter is saying that there is something beyond him, beyond his own moral compass that he is accountable to. Peter is saying that there is an energy, a person, a divine being, a, a representation of all that is good and right and true and holy There is this spirit at work in the world that this same spirit that planted that passion, that energy inside of the apostles, that same spirit that planted the courage inside of them that they need to speak the truth is also a spirit that witnesses to what is true. And that witness, that external witness is there watching taking into account what's going on and in a very real sense holding accountable and emboldening the people that that spirit has called to act in this present moment in other words peter has an awareness that there is something much bigger at work and peter is beholden to that much bigger thing at work I began to, I think, scratch at the surface of this in my message last week when I pointed out that when Peter and the apostles prayed to God and they said to God, lead us into whatever you have predestined, they were beginning to get at the reality that Peter speaks to here. That there is a bigger purpose in the world that is driving history in a certain direction. And that spirit that is driving history in a certain direction is there watching and witnessing to what is happening. And it is that witnessing that gives Peter and the apostles the passion and courage that they need to pursue it. And this, I think, is key to our understanding of what it means to be spiritual. Because to be spiritual, I think, involves this sense, this awareness that there is something bigger at work that we owe our loyalty to so that when things get difficult when we are pursuing what is good and right and just and true and we get worn out and battered and beaten down and perhaps thrown in prison just like the apostles were that we still have the stamina the energy the passion to pursue that work because of that something bigger. Back in the early half of the 19th century there was a A reforming Unitarian minister named Theodore Parker, who wrote about this bigger movement in history in one of his sermons. And he put it this way. He said, I do not pretend to understand the moral universe. Now, I love the way he writes that because, of course, this is a man, a minister who was dedicated from from the early part of the 1800s to abolition work in the United States, dedicated to liberating those black slaves who had been stolen from Africa and brought over here, dedicated to speaking and acting on behalf of their freedom. And of course, doing that, And facing all of the opposition that he faced as an abolitionist in the first half of the 19th century and facing all of the threats that he faced doing that, of course, it's understandable that he would say, I do not pretend to understand the moral universe. Because when we look around at the moral universe, oftentimes it does not seem moral at all. And much of the events in history that we see unfolding before our eyes seem so egregiously immoral. And so Theodore Parker says, I do not pretend to understand the moral universe. The arc is a long one. And from what I see, I am sure it bends towards justice. Now that... Is Theodore Parker, in the midst of his frustration, in the midst of his confusion, in the midst of his pain, perhaps in the midst of feeling like he is failing to pursue that work of the Spirit of God that moves towards justice, he is still in the midst of that, recognizing that there is a witness at work in history, and that that witness is moving in the direction of justice. And so Theodore Parker finds hope in that years later, of course, Martin Luther King Jr. would borrow those same words from Theodore Parker. And in 1961, in one of his speeches at a civil rights rally, Martin Luther King said, I'm convinced that we shall overcome because the arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. What both Theodore Parker and Martin Luther King Jr. and the Apostle Peter are all recognizing, I think, is that there is an inevitability to the Spirit of God that is at work in the world moving humanity closer towards redemption, closer towards wholeness, closer towards the renewal and restoration of all things. However hopeless it might seem in the present moment, recognize that nobody really can get in the way of it i love the way that this section of acts chapter 5 ends because what happens is a little bit surprising and we pick it up here in verse 33 Uh, when they heard this they were enraged that is the the council members in jerusalem when they heard peter testifying that he had to obey god rather than them they were enraged but Verse 34, a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up and ordered the men to be put outside for a short time. And then he said to them, fellow Israelites, consider carefully what you propose to do to these men. For some time ago, Theudas rose up claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and disappeared. And after him Judas the Galilean rose up at the time of the census and got people to follow him, he also perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone." Because if it is this plan or this undertaking is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. And in that case, you may even be found fighting against God. Now, what I love about that passage, of course, is that it's so surprising. You know, we have a tendency in Christian churches to think about Pharisees as the enemies, to think about Pharisees as evil people who are working against God. In reality, of course, they were simply Jews who were doing their very best to try to reform their communities who were constantly under the threat of an oppressive power from Rome. And in this case, we see a great example of how a Pharisee, Gamaliel, Rabbi Gamaliel stands up and he defends the apostles and says, listen, I don't know and neither do you whether or not these men are from God, but if they are, if the spirit of God has sent them, there is nothing we can do to stop it. And in that way, I think Gamaliel is recognizing the very same thing that we are talking about here. The very same thing that Peter refers to when he speaks about the witness of the Spirit. The very same thing that Theodore Parker and Martin Luther King Jr. refer to when they talk about the moral arc of the universe. Gamaliel is recognizing that whatever God desires, God will ultimately get in the long run. And what God wants is peace and justice and redemption for our world. And in that sense, I think we have potentially a third answer to our question. What does it mean to be spiritual? I think it not only means that we are imbued with a sense of passion. I think it not only means that we are also given a courage to pursue that passion. I think the third answer to that question is that to be spiritual means that we recognize that moral arc of the universe. We see the trajectory of the Spirit of God. We see where it is going as clear as day. And because we can see where history is going, we are are empowered by the Spirit of God to pursue it at all costs. To have the energy and the courage necessary to do it because we know... That by our cooperation, God will accomplish what is good and just and right and true. That's all I have for you today. I wonder what you are getting out of this passage from Acts chapter 5 today. I want to encourage you to share in the comments on YouTube and Facebook what, which words or phrases or passages are inspiring you uh, from this series or from this chapter. Share with each other. Encourage each other. I want to leave you with just a blessing as we wrap up today continue with our worship, and go about our weeks. Would you just join me? God, we thank you again for this opportunity for us to come to your text, come to your scriptures, and and to, to inspire us, to feed us, to stretch our hearts and our minds, to grow us into the kinds of people who are able to recognize where you're going and what you're doing and have the courage to join with you. We pray that you'd make that true in each of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Hey good morning everybody my name is CJ and I've got a few quick announcements here for you before you head off. First of all welcome to the online gathering here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. We are glad you are here and watching wherever you are watching from. We've got a brand new QR code. It's right here in the bottom right corner of the screen. Simply grab your phone, open up your camera, point it at the QR code and it will give you um, the announcements. It will allow you to RSVP for events and much, much more. So that's a brand new feature, a great easy way to connect with things that are going on here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. And if you are new to the Oceanside Sanctuary, whether it's in person or online, welcome, we're glad you're here. We would love to know more about you when you are ready. You can contact us by uh, scanning that QR code or going to the backslash contact and that will put you in touch with the church and with our team and we will reach out and we will be in touch with you so we're excited about that. Joey Pearson everybody he is building the band and he is building the audio visual team and this is also really exciting they are meeting every Thursday night at the Oceanside Sanctuary from 5 30 p.m. to 7 p.m. so we would love for you to join that team if you just want to meet some people in the group meet Joey Come on out Thursday nights at 530 and uh, you can learn a little bit more about our new worship team, about the audiovisual team, and we'll be excited to uh, get, get some more information to you at that time. Every month here at the Oceanside Sanctuary, we have our call and response, which is a monthly scripture study group that approaches the Bible in a group dialogue much like the call and response tradition found in sacred literature, liturgy and music of all kinds. This month we're meeting Thursday, June 17th at 6.30 p.m. Once again, that's gonna be on Thursday, June 17th at 6.30 p.m. in person at the Oceanside Sanctuary. And then this is also another important announcement for our congregation. There will be a congregational meeting on June 27th, 1215 p.m. right after the morning service. If you consider yourself a member of our faith community, we would love to invite you to join us for this annual congregational meeting. Once again, immediately after the Sunday gathering on June 27th at 1215. This is gonna be a chance to discuss and vote on the proposed budget and board nominations for the fiscal year 2021 and 20. 22. You can find out more information at theoceansidesanctuary.org backslash calendar about the congregational meeting or once again scan that new qr code on your screen and then finally we would love for you to partner and support uh, what's happening here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. We are a 501 c3 nonprofit and we rely on gifts and donations from people just like you. If you'd like to support our mission consider giving a gift today by simply going to the oceansidesanctuary.org backslash give hope you're doing well have a great week and we'll see you later